Hello and welcome to the Event Lab podcast, your window into the events conversation, brought to you by Hirespace. This episode, we have seven minutes with Nicola Root, the business development manager at Pure Events, for a chat about the events world. It would have to be Fire Festival. Um, I remember sitting down, I was watching it thinking, oh my gosh, my team would just do a much better job. I suppose most people would do um, a much better job on that. Um, but I do think at Pure Events, our speciality actually is in running a lot of corporate festivals. So I don't see why we couldn't probably deliver that on a bigger scale. Then it smells like team spirit. We're chatting with Sam McNeil from Song Division, who provide musical team building and entertainment for corporate events. If you're looking for a venue, there's only one place. Yeah, they got over 5,000 to match any taste. Yeah, the original platform, they won that race. So head over to our friends at Higher Space. But first, an eaten mess. How would event professionals have organized the leadership debates? Teaching the old? Is it time we had more millennials on advisory boards? And the danger of complacency? An ex-police chief warns of the lack of security at events. On the panel this week, Ed is joined by Charlotte Gentry, Director of Pure Events, and Ken Kelling, Associate Director at Davies Tanner, as they sit down for the News Digest. Evening. Good evening, Ed. Hello, Ed. Charlotte Gentry is back. Hi, Charlotte. Hi, Ed. How are you doing? Very good, thank you. We have a, another pod debut. We've had a couple of those recently. We have Ken Kelling from Davies Tanner. Hello, Ed. How Hi. are you? Very good, thank you. Is this your first podcast generally? or Loads of media interviews. You know, yeah. you kind of you get drawn in as a PR professional in front of camera and radio and stuff, but I think it's the first podcast. Well, great. Uh, no, I've just lied. Actually, I did a podcast interview for someone in my local area uh, for an art installation. Nice. Mm-hmm. Good to have you here. Thank you. Who watched the, I think it was called The Next Prime Minister, who watched the Tory hustings last night? Dipped in and out. Not the whole thing. The format's been kind of widely slated today, hasn't it? What did they get wrong? Well, it was um, it was quite extraordinary, actually. Um, wildly uninspiring, watching a whole pile of middle-aged men fighting with each other, really. Um, which is probably what just goes on, actually, in the House of Commons on a regular basis, I think, <laughs> probably. Um, uh, yes, um, they were... They were all put on bar stools, which seemed like an incredibly uncomfortable, very unnatural position. They looked a bit unnatural. They looked very unnatural. And so, um, and actually, I was watching the news this morning, and Ian Duncan Smith was on saying, you know, you can't make politicians look dynamic sitting on a bar stool. They need to be actually standing up in front of a lectern where they're able to gesticulate, where they're able to be packed to show that they're passionate about what they believe in. Putting them on a bar stool and them just sort of all infighting was really not going to bring out the best in anybody i think the, the description i heard was they looked a bit like a boy band yeah who are about to kind of dip into a power ballad or something <laughs> which is probably not the greatest format for um political debates but it, it i mean it also emily maitlis seemed a bit awkward where she was positioned as well um it, it didn't feel like she kind of could really engage she, with them possibly in the way that she actually wanted to i think she she looked a bit restricted she, she had quite a lot of kind of criticism today which i thought was a bit unfair. It's hard yeah. to moderate something like that. Everyone's constantly trying to talk. Maybe something about the format, encourage people to talk over each other. I don't. 
or the weather, or the layout. I think I think full marks for trying something different and with the members of the public and all the rest of it and trying something out. Whether it was that successful, I'm not so sure. Didn't really seem to bring the best out in anybody, really. I mean, um, Boris was sort of slated for not being particularly dynamic or um, showing, you know, the kind of personality that he really is. But, you know, how can you sort of do that when you're sitting there sort of looking a bit like a like a stuffed duck, you know, mm. rather than sort of at least you could have some notes in front of you if you're a lectern and, and be a bit more agile? The first one, the, the Channel 4 one, they had lecterns, didn't they? Mm. Is yeah, that, how, is that how the events industry would have would have would have done this? Well, like, again, it's kind of, you know there's, there's arguments for and against, isn't there? Because a lectern immediately hides you um, and gives you something to shelter behind. And, w- and when you see images from that one, and a lot of people have their their hands slightly awkwardly on the lectern because you can't necessarily gesticulate. I'm gesticulating, by the way, <laughs> uh, with my hands. I can uh, confirm Ken is currently I am, I am actually gesticulating to, to make a point, which is not great on a podcast, but I'm gesticulating I am. Um, it's because you don't really want to be hidden sometimes. You want to kind of come out, you know, you saw the, all the kind of town hall things that Cameron used to do and... Um, <laughs> There was something a little bit more kind of energetic, authentic um, about that kind of format. So again, it's it's difficult, isn't it? Because you've got you've got to keep them in the one place and have a staging, but equally allow them the opportunity to kind of express themselves properly as well. So it's a it's a tough one to get right. Mm. Mm. It's definitely not an easy thing to get right. I mean, even if you'd put them on, you know, a couple of decent sized sofas and sort of had, you know, a sort of almost, you know, three and three sort of, you know, panel type situation, it might have felt a little more relaxed in terms of being a bit more like a debate as opposed to what felt like a sort of infighting, which you, you know, if you're, if you're a sangy match, yeah, exactly. And if you're, you know, you're voting for um, the leader of um, the Conservative Party and the leader of this country, you know, you just had sort of a bunch of guys from the Conservative Party just sort of arguing with each other, which isn't really what anybody in the country wants to see. They want to see a level of unification in actual fact in, in terms of beliefs, not just promoting their own belief system to get them over the line as the leader of the country. Tough balance, right? Because you want there's naturally an adversarial thing to a degree, but you, as you say, you do want some level of decent, constructive discussion and yeah i think it's i think it's probably a thumbs down on the bar stools (laughs) i'd still encourage the 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 engagement of the public somehow um to kind of put people on the spot a little bit more because they can be hugely pre-prepared for questions that they know a journalist is likely to ask Mm. i think if we can get continue to get the public in there somehow with some curveballs or some other things like you know the 15 year old who basically said you know i wasn't satisfied with any of you um, and and made the point about climate change really well, I think. Um, so I, that sort of stuff, I think, needs some encouragement. Well, the next one I think is on Sky. I think it'll be down to I think it's down to two candidates then. So we'll see how they how they manage that. Charlotte, you've been writing in conference news. I have you, indeed. You have asked the question. So Charlotte Gentry, MD at Pure Events, wants to see more millennials on boards and making decisions. And you've asked the question, is it time we had more millennials on our advisory boards or are the industry veterans better placed to lead the advancement of the event sector? Well, um, my my answer to this is actually that millennials ha- should be given a much bigger voice in the sector um, and that a lot of the industry um, C-suite events shouldn't entirely be um, governed by C-suite individuals because... Yes, you know, obviously experience has a has a lot to offer, but also millennials are the future of, of, of the industry. And so, you know, they have 
Um, they do things in a in a in a different way. They communicate in a different way. Um, uh, I mean, this is a massive generalization. However, you know, they don't tend to want to. Um, pick up the telephone and they don't like that level of confrontation they'd much rather send emails or whatsapps or messages or you know whatever it happens to be um, digitally Um, and I think that um, veterans in the industry have an awful lot to learn in fact I'm all for reverse mentorship in in an organization where I feel that I can learn an awful lot from um, some members of my team who um, uh, you know are just beginning their career journey because there's an awful lot they understand digitally that I don't um, and can help me understand um, a lot more about what other clients we may have as well who are millennials expect from us. And I may not be able to relate particularly brilliantly well to somebody who's mm. 28 years old, um, whereas somebody that's, you know, in my business at that age is, is perfectly equipped to do so. So I think we should... Reverse mentoring seems like a really good idea. So you said here that about a third of your third of peer events are under 30. Is that about that right? yeah. That's, that's high space. It's much higher than that, but um, yeah. I mean, I think that um, because of the intensity of the work that we that we deliver, um, we have got quite a um, top heavy experience mm. level going on in in our in our agency. So um, I think a third is about fair. And the reverse mentoring is good for your business. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely something that I want us to be doing a lot more of because, you know, I... I believe that you know anybody, doesn't matter what stage um, they're at in 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 their career path, has absolutely got a lot to offer in a in an open forum in terms of the vision of the business, in terms of where the marketplace is going, in terms of um, unique ideas that are at the forefront of, of of the sector because they've got ears on the ground in different kinds of um, networking forums to, to myself. And I need to be aware of that because otherwise I'm going to get left, we're going to get left behind if I don't understand. Ken, you work with a diverse, broad range of businesses yeah. in the in the sector. Yeah, well, I think I think you know Charlotte's raised some really good points here, and I think in our industry, it goes it goes further than the boards as well. It goes to you know membership organisations who are increasingly struggling to attract people <laughs> from a younger age group. It, it goes across a whole range of stuff within our industry about getting younger people's voices more heard in lots of different environments. Um, and then I think it goes even wider than that in, in society. And I was saying to Charlotte earlier that, you know, why, why isn't there more of this in Parliament or any other kind of structure where young people can bring, you know, new views, different views or their views? Because, you know, I, I think it's absolutely critical because the times that we're in, and we've seen this through, you know, all sorts of, of climate change protests and everything else. There's there's sometimes a lack of urgency and young people can bring that urgency because they have that energy, because they can they can see into their future, because their future is being described fairly bleakly in some circumstances and, and have a stake and an ownership in, in that. So, you know, I, I think we should be doing proactively a, a lot more to, to engage the younger end of the spectrum completely. I don't think industry events really um, invite invite enough people considering the breadth of experience within organisations. I think they're very, very keen to invite people at senior level because they want to be seen to be having the attendance at industry events of the, you know, the MD or the director level because they've got the, you know, senior people there. But actually, there need to be many more events where they are appealing to to 
to, to you know, people who are starting out in their career who have equally important perspectives to, to share. Yeah, absolutely. I want to talk finally about, so this is something that very important that we, that we tackle. So this is a former Metropolitan Police Chief Superintendent, also a former National Counterterrorism Coordinator. He told the BBC, Nick, Nick Aldworth, that he's in favour of introducing a new law which would see venues forced to make more thorough checks of people and bags. Essentially, he says, in fact, he's gone so far as to say many venues are reckless and negligent when it comes to security, so much so that we need a new law to tackle it. What does more thorough mean? I mean, is that, you know, a sort of, that's a bit vague. I mean, is that like full on body search? Is that, you know, uh, is that kind of, um, I'm going to tip your bag upside down irrespective of what's inside it? Um, Where, you know, where where are the boundaries with this? And, you know, and also what kind of events are we talking about? What kind of venues are we talking about? Um, I think we were talking um, earlier, Ken, you know, are we talking about restaurants? Are we talking about bars? Are we talking about everywhere you go out to socialise in? Um, In which case, does that become, is it safety versus convenience and sort of, you know, obtrusiveness? Do we turn into a nanny state um, by doing some of this? Or is it just the big concert halls that we're talking about? I I think that, you know, the devil is in all all the detail of something like this because, you know, the, the, the articles that I've seen talk about venues... And as all of us know, that that ranges from everything from from the O2 to a, to a restaurant, in theory. Mm-hmm. Um, so, w- what venues are we talking about? Um, how would how would legislation that's mandatory work, as opposed to working with with the police on a more informal basis through risk assessments and everything else that people do day in day out? So, what's the additionality? Um, that might be clearer to some people than it is to me at the moment. I'm not sure because I'm not on top of exactly what the proposed legislation would say. I mean, in, interestingly, the, the minister has said that um, he hasn't dismissed legislation altogether and he's actually invited kind of further talks on the whole subject, which I thought was quite an interesting response that their kind of you know, government is looking to kind of engage with what more could be done. But of course, that's the start of a process that that you know weaves its way down eventually into new rules and, and regulations. So it's you know it's it's difficult to see exactly what this all means just yet. But you know, no doubt a serious topic. No doubt something we all have to think about. Um, but let's see what comes out at the other end. Yeah, because I suppose as you say, Charlie, you don't, I mean, you had the Manchester bombings recently, and mm. you know, big kind of big concerts like. I, 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 think, I think the challenge is is that if you've got a maniac on the loose and you know I mean this is a bit of a controversial comment I'm about to make but if you've got a, if you've got a maniac on the loose I don't think it's going to make a massive difference what state what, what stages and what structure you put in place because if someone's going to run in there with a sawn-off shotgun they're going to run in there you know if they can't get in there they're going to end up by trying to you know machine down as many people in the in the in the foyer area as they can before they actually go in for the bag check mm. i mean these people aren't concerned about bag checks are they really um they're it's, you know crazies. yeah it's 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 complex <laughs> though isn't it because you know the 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 london bridge attacks for example you know there's been a lot recently about an intelligence failure question mark around that so it wasn't about the venues themselves it was about but also that wasn't was that wasn't a that wasn't a venue per se that was borough market no, so the, that was the, an open public space totally yeah um and you know so you can't well, you can't um inst- install a you know, look, we've got 
less police on the ground as it is because they've been axed. The police. I mean, we've got less police stations. I tried to go to my local police station the other day and I couldn't go because it had shut down. I didn't realise it shut down. My nearest police station from Pimlico happens to be Charing Cross now. Um, so you've got far less bobbies on the beat anyway. And so you're. I think that people are like less likely to do something crazy at a. Um, you know, in in a, in a in a restaurant or a bar, they're likely just to go on some kind of bizarre spree in a public yeah, which is, which, in a public arena, know, which, which you can't really. Which pl- is why intelligence is is the yeah. is the first starting point for preventing something. You know, rather rather than focusing too much on yeah. on what can be done at venues. Not to say they shouldn't be, but it's a complicated picture. Mm. And no I mean, one the, thing, the thing the thing that came up for me <coughs> was the the. Um, in the Paris bombings, you know, the, there was one bomber didn't get through to the football stadium there because of a security guard. Yeah. So otherwise, that that would have gone through and it w- mm. would have would have exploded in in the Paris stadium. Now that would have been an absolute nightmare. So you know, there, there are definitely there are definitely kind of ways of looking at all of this that I agree belt embraces hundred percent. But equally, it's a really, really complicated mm. picture and not doesn't necessarily solve everything, like Charlotte says. And none of us want to live in a world where there's metal detectors in restaurants and no. pubs. and no. no, especially not if you've got, you know, metal elbow and a dodgy knee. Because <laughs> <laughs> you'd be setting everything off left, right and centre. <laughs> yeah, Kenny, you were talking earlier, you called it kind of the price of living in the free... Well, I think it is, you know, these I, yeah. and, and, and quite often these things are really reactive, aren't they? Because, you know, nobody had thought about bridges. Nobody had thought about cars on bridges. Yeah. Suddenly there's a there's an attack and then suddenly there's there's barriers on the bridges. So these things are often very reactive. And, you know, with hindsight's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And you can say, well, of course, somebody could have driven over a bridge and plowed people down. But how who would have imagined that would <coughs> happen? You know, and um, so there is a, there is a lot of kind of reactive stuff quite and, quite, and the quite awful thing is to the, to you know, the awful thing is because that's now happened and it's it's a been a tried and tested situation somebody will come up with something equally yeah. extraordinary that we haven't necessarily taken into consideration yeah you know yeah you you try to do events all over the uk and all over the world do you have a kind of security blueprint is it is it similar did you apply the same the, the same the same kind of standard stands every event, or is it, does it differ every time? How, what's I mean, the process for you? I mean, usually, um, obviously, because we are dealing with venues in the stricter sense, um, the security angle is often taken care of by the venue, and that is that their policies therefore become incorporated within ours. Um, in scenarios where it's a dry hire situation and we have to hire in security, yes, we invariably always do have to hire in security and then those policies do absolutely become ours. And we actually recently produced an event last week where which was held at Cineworld at the O2 and we had major communication problems actually with the security um, at the O2 because they failed to tell us there was a big concert going on which wasn't really widely publicised. And we couldn't get the equipment out until two o'clock in the morning because Hugh Jackman was you know, coming in for a cup of tea or whatever he was doing. So, you know, it tends to be very, very um, dependent on what kind of job we're working on, but usually it's dependent on the venue. Yeah, but it is, it is a much bigger part, part now of everybody's planning, you know, logistical and communications, you know, dealing with a crisis. I mean, all, all of those things are, are just so much more firmly embedded into the, the world of event management and event planning than, than even 10 years ago. I mean, we have a very, very strong crisis management plan, which is something that 
obviously security is incorporated into, but it's um, it in, it involves terrorism, it involves lines of communication in the face of um, a crisis, and that now primarily is built around terrorism. Really, in fact, we actually produced an entire content-driven event around the terrorism angle because you know what do you do in that situation, or you know you find that you take your you've, you're doing an incentive. Um, in a different part of the world and there's an earthquake or something, you know, how do you you go into lockdown, you know, what do you do, what do the lines of escalation look like? And I think I think we just all have to accept that this is always going to be continually evolving, mm. you know, and whether that's a new piece of legislation as is being talked about now, or whether that's a new piece of technology or, what, you know, whatever it is, it's, uh, it's unlikely we'll ever kind of reach a situation where we'll say, oh, everything's fine. Um, so, you know, it's uh, as long as we know that we have to keep evolving keep learning keep kind of keep it front of mind um can you were because you were communications doing communications for visit london was that yeah was that did, was, was that when the, yeah, when, yeah, when the london attacks happened yeah must, must have had to think very carefully about how you approach that from a for how you responded i suppose as a as an organization yeah 100 percent. and that was you know the the huge thing about about that globally was about perception um, and how a destination, a city, or even a venue is is perceived, because you know um, that day we were sort of taking calls from the U.S. and and other places around the world, or doing interviews on stuff, and you know the the perception that they had. I mean, people were using things like, "Oh, guy, you guys are in a war zone over there," and you know the way this it sort of spirals out. You know, a, a really tragic situation. Um, becomes somehow exaggerated to be worse than it even was, yeah. and so you're 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 dealing a lot, not necessarily with, um, uh, not just with the kind of incident itself, but also how it's perceived worldwide. And it's um, you know it took it took months it took months for that to kind of um, die down is not the right words, but it took months for that perception to change. Well, fascinating topic. I'd actually I'd love to love to talk. Love to talk more about that because, as sure. you say, it's all about the perception, all about um, you know pr- protecting the reputation of the city or the yeah. venue or whatever it is yeah. in a tragic time. Um, unfortunately, we've run out of time, um, but perhaps we'll get you back on Ken to talk about that because um, Be delighted, really interesting. And thank you for coming on today. Pleasure. Hope thank you, you for having it. me. Yeah, I've indeed. Thank you both. Been great having you here, and thank you, Charlotte. As Thanks, ever. Ed. Great to see you. Have a great week, guys. Cheers. Thanks a lot. I'm sitting down with Nicola Root next for more quick-fire questions on everything from cocktails to networking to life at an events agency. It's 7 Minutes With. Hi, Nicola. Welcome to the Event Lab podcast. Hello. Thank you very much for having me. Nicola Root, the Business Development Manager at Pure Events. Do you want to give everyone a quick overview of what your role is at Pure Events? Yes, so um, my job mainly is to help with the development of the business and my remit really focuses on bringing in new clients and building those relationships within the company. So we've got seven minutes. Let's Let's, let's get going. Uh, Start off some questions about you. Would you rather be put in charge of organising Fire Festival 2.0 or the next Winter Olympics? It would have to be Fire Festival. Um... I remember sitting down, I was watching it thinking, oh my gosh, my team would just do 
much better job I suppose most people would do um, a much better job on that Um, but I do think at Pure Events our speciality actually is in running a lot of corporate festivals so I don't see why we couldn't probably deliver that on a bigger scale and I just think overall putting a festival together and giving someone that experience I think would just be a lot more fun to work on. Who can say no to an island party? What's the best event that you've ever been to? Oh my, it has to be the Spice Girls that I just went to see (laughs) on Saturday at Wembley. It was incredible Um, and probably more so that it just brought back such um, amazing childhood memories for me. Um, That It would just be an event that I will remember um, for the rest of my life, I think. What is your favourite cocktail? Espresso martini. Good choice. (laughs) If you could go back to the start of your career in a time machine and give yourself a piece of advice, what, what do you think you'd say to yourself? Stop overthinking and worrying about things too much. Um, nothing is ever that much of a big deal. Um, and believe in myself a bit more. Nice. If you were going to cast an, someone to play <laughs> you uh, in the film of your life, who do you think you would cast? Um, I've gone through... Oh, God. I've gone through a, three, a few actresses. Um, but actually, I think probably Sandra Bullock. She has a lot of fun. She has played serious roles. Um... Yeah, I think she'd be a perfect character choice. So just just turning on to the events world a little bit now, I mean, do you think there are any kind of misconceptions that that people have about what it's like to work in the events world? Yes, even though my job is so much fun and I do have the best time, everyone would always comment on that aspect. Um, But I suppose that's what we're putting up on Instagram, the LinkedIn, Mm. that we're having so much fun. I think the misconceptions people don't actually realise that aren't in the industry how much hard work goes into building relationships with the clients, deliver, delivering that event, um, making sure that you're meeting the ROI for, for the event and you're delivering what the client needs. Um, and yes, I think people underestimate how challenging it can be, and especially in my role as bringing in, in, yeah. in the new business as well. Do you think the people's expectations as the sorts of experiences that they're going to get from an event have kind of changed over the years? I think so. Um, I think there's a lot of focus now on the delegates and, and delegates and guests' experience, and a lot on how they feel. Mm. Um, I think as society going forward, everyone is not as precious to keep their feelings in. So we we upload everything on social media, exactly how we're feeling all the time, and I think that's everybody will remember how you made them feel. So thinking about what it's like in the agency world, it's it's something we've seen come up on the News Digest. Do you think agencies should get paid for the pitches that they, they provide, they give to companies? This is a tricky one because it probably hasn't been done in the past. Mm. I think that's where it's going to be challenging to ask that. But something we're looking into, especially when we're going for the, the, bigger, um, the bigger tenders, is... Or this might work, you know, overall, overall for agencies. If if we do charge a fee for the pitch, but once that pitch is won, you could then bring that back into the fee. If that mm, makes sense. Yeah. So, um, but you have to understand, it is paying for our time overall, and Absolutely. and time and time is money. Um, but again, paying paying to pitch is also uh, could focus the client's interest in that particular agency. And it might actually limit the amount of agencies that are put forward to pitch, which would help stop with the benchmarking um, and might make it more of a fair comparison. Mm. Do you think the agency world has changed uh, during your time in it? 
I think yes, and for the better. Um, I feel now there's a lot more support in the industry, mm -hmm. whereas a, probably about five, six years ago when I started in the street was quite, even though it's healthy competition now, I'd like to say. Um, and I think we, a lot of agencies now uh, all knowledge share and work together and we talk about more um, topics more openly. Um, yeah, and I just think it's just a, a greater support. And I think that's what I love about this industry is the support that everyone everyone gives to each other. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so I think just moving on to our, our content theme a little bit, uh, partnerships, sponsorships, and sales. I, I picked up on uh, on something that Charlotte Gentry said uh, in the News Digest <laughs> a couple of episodes yeah, ago. Thanks, Charlotte. They were they were chatting about networking, uh, and she she mentioned you specifically. She said uh, that you take networking to an entirely different <laughs> level. I was wondering, do you have any key networking tips? Um, not tips. Essentially, I think. For me, it's just really important when I I really love meeting new yeah. people. I love going out, um, and even though my role I do have a sales based role, I wouldn't see myself as a sales person as such. I'm mm. more of a connector, so I love going out, meeting people, um, and connecting with people. And I think it's important to to get out there and you've got to learn something everywhere you go, and the mm. the amount of people that you'll see um and i think that actually that helps me a lot a lot of my leads have actually that i've made and um sort of client relationships i've built have been from the networking events um people get to see me they get to see the energy and the passion i have for the company yeah. um which i don't think you're going to get by sending an email or a phone call um, so every opportunity that I get, um, I make sure I get out there for company purposes and work, but also for myself because I will always learn something. Yeah. Um, and I guess, and I'm wondering if you maybe had any points with the audience on kind of developing existing business relationships that you have so that kind of each year you can kind of make it more and more valuable. Well, something that I tend to do is giving invaluable industry insights that perhaps other suppliers might not do, or I will try and make sure I know that client on or personal level so find similar interests or I might know that um, you know if I go on a show round or I go to visit a venue think this would be perfect for my clients X event or yeah. this would be perfect for their incentive and maybe send them the ideas already so that we're I'm being proactive and, and thinking that one step further before we've even had um, an RFP come in um, and yeah just keep building the rapport and thinking how can that client relate to me um, and one another thing we do at Pure Events also is um, inviting clients to um, like exclusive, unique events that others might not. Mm. Um, and we're finding that's a brilliant pulling card to really, you know, take everyone out of the city, just get to know them on a personal level, and that's really helped actually build our relationships. I think we've I think we've hit the end of our, our seven minutes there. But just just as a final note, what what's your favourite venue? Recently, I've just been on um, the most fantastic fam trip um, hosted by GP Associates at Glen Eagles, and I was absolutely blown away. It was incredible, the event spaces they can offer, unlimited amount of activities, the restaurants, the, everything was just incredible. So that is my favourite venue at the moment. Sounds wonderful. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Time to get a bit musical now as I'm joined by Sam McNeil from Song Division. 
All right, I am I am excited for this interview. We have something rather unusual for people today as I am joined by Sam McNeil from Song Division. Sam, welcome to the Hello. podcast. Hello, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, I mean, do you want, I mean, let, just t- let's share a little bit about what it is you guys do at Song Division. Uh, okay, well, yeah, I have the best job in the world. Um, but w- what is it we do? Uh, our, our purpose is to unite organisations around their purpose using the, pi- the power and the science of music. Mm. So that can mean a lot of different things, um, but our core offerings all revolve around a songwriting experience where we're getting groups of five to the biggest group we've done is 12,000 people to create a completely original song based on their company values. It could be um, you know, sales targets. It could be the the, uh, uh, the launch of a new drug if it's a pharmaceutical conference. Whatever the reason for the for the for the meeting or the event, we come in with a team of musicians who tour and record with people like CeeLo Green, Beyonce, uh, Florence and the Machine, and we facilitate this songwriting experience. Um, you know, which is a great way yeah. of engaging the attendees, getting them motivated for whatever those strategies and goals are, and of course, you know, really helping hope, uh, helping to drive home, I guess, you know, the values of the company, mm. their their values, their um, th- whatever the culture is, helping reinforce that. Like I said, using the science of music. Mm. I mean, we've got, we've got a little taste of that songwriting experience coming up. Yeah. So what is it about, I guess, that kind of collaborative music experience that kind of brings people together in such a yeah? Like, cool um, way? Well, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of information out there and a lot of research, uh, and I don't sort of claim to be a professor in neuroscience and whatnot, but we do make a point of um, you know constantly educating ourselves within the business around that um, around that you know that mm. that research, um, and it, and so it's a few things. Um, you know, on a top level, we all know that music is like a universal language, um, and it's and it's very in, um, intrinsically linked to memory. Um, so, for example, you know, I couldn't tell you my parents' birthdays, but I could still sing the song, the first song I ever learnt when I was probably six years old to you right now. So things like that because of melody. Um, and there's a great uh, documentary, I believe it's on Apple, uh, called Alive Inside, which mm. is which follows um, people with Alzheimer's and dementia, some of which can't talk anymore or, or are severely disabled, and playing their music from their childhood and, and the way that their brain lights up and they can remember very vividly things from 50, 60 years ago. So that's on the fun side of things. So I encourage you to check that out. And then, like I said, the stuff around the science behind it, uh, again, um, we, 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 humans generally live in, in a part of our brain. We spend 90% of the time in, in what, in what lot some people call the caveman part of the brain. Mm. That's, um, you know, where, where we are, where, when we need to survive, um, food, eat, breathe, uh, you know, I've got to get to work. How do I get to work? I get on the train, I, I stay on the train, I get off. So we're, we're in this sort of constant uh, mode of, of survival. And, and, and in the workplace, it's, it's generally like, I've got to get this job done, I'm stressed, yeah. I've got a deadline, or I'm going into a meeting and I'm not prepared, or I'm going into this meeting and someone's going to pull, pull me up on not having finished a job and how am I going to defend myself? So we're constantly in this sort of self-defense part of our brain. Mm. When you perform music or when you write music or when you sing you you um you you instantly accessing the 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 prefrontal cortex of the brain at the front of the brain uh and that's the part where creativity lives that's the part where creative problem solving lives that's the part when when we get out of that self-defense mode and we um start comfortably collaborating with with other people coming up with ideas that we wouldn't have thought of um in other situations, uh, so so music instantly unlocks that part of the brain. Almost, I believe, you know, pretty much quicker than any any other tool. So th- so that's so that's um, a really key factor to what we do because that's our job. So we're going in. We've got ten minutes, twenty minutes conference opener. 
people have never met each other. It's a big global conference. And our job is to get them out of that um, fight or flight mode into a, sp- a safe space where they can feel free to suggest creative ideas yeah. and feel appreciated and 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 uh, safe. So yeah, that's a big key for us. And then the, the final thing is... Um, that singing and and creating music and performing music releases oxytocin. So the the happy the, what do they call it the the the, the cuddle drug I think mm. it's called. So uh, you know it's just it's just a way to get people um, as happy and as comfortable in their surroundings as quickly as possible. And music does that probably better than anything else. So uh, that that that's what makes what we do so fun and and you know seamless seemingly easy. I guess that that idea of the kind of that kind of experience coming to a, a business event is, is quite mm. is, seems like quite a new idea. Cause, I mean we're seeing a lot of you know, in the kind of like in the B two C market, we're seeing you know yes. tons of kind of consumer experience yes. stuff and that kind of the idea of the Correct. experiential uh, kind of offering. Mm-hmm. But it's quite unique what you guys are doing in a kind of in the B two B area, yeah. uh, like business events. Yeah, I mean it is. We, we've Song Division's been around for sixteen years, um, but you know that was in Australia. It's an Australian company started by my boss Andy Sharp, um, and more so in the past five or six years, or, or probably up to eight years, we've grown to you know offices across the US, Singapore, and I've moved here three years ago to set up a UK office. But it is nice. We're still we tell people what we do, and they say that's amazing. Or I've never heard of that before. So it's a nice place to be in where we are still one of the very few companies that do that do what we do. Mm. Um, and it, it doesn't matter where we are in the world, doesn't matter who the client is, what industry they work in, what the demographic is, the general consensus at the start of the session when I tell them that we're going to create a song is some sort of silence and shock and like, you know, a sense of get me out of this room right now. This is my worst nightmare, um, which we totally appreciate and, and address very quickly um, and explain that this isn't the voice and this isn't a singing <laughs> competition. No one sings on their own. We don't shove a mic in your face. We're not about embarrassing anyone. Uh, it's about collaboration and creativity and the musicians we bring along that I mentioned before, they're going to make you sound amazing. And and, and what, what, I, what we know for a fact is that getting to see the journey from, oh, this sounds horrible to, oh, I think I can do this. Oh my God, I'm really enjoying this. Oh my God, I can't get them off the stage <laughs> kind of thing is this beautiful journey yeah. uh, that I see every event, literally every event. You know, we were at, we were out at the Airbus headquarters in Bristol on Friday. It was after, it was a, it was a pre-lunch experience after a pretty long week that they'd had, so, you know, with engineers, same thing. Uh, the night before we were with 200 Rolls Royce um, award winners that had been flown in for the excellence awards. And it's, and you know, I say it at the start and there's this sort of um, sense of, of caution and, oh, I don't think I can do this all the way through to, like I said, by the end, people coming up on stage joining the band and they love it. And the reason is that they have a very strong sense of ownership of what they create. So mm. we don't rewrite the lyrics to a famous song. We're not like changing the lyrics to I Got a Feeling by Black Eyed Peas. We are creating the music live. We're getting volunteer guitarists from the audience to help us come up with a few chords. We're giving them five choices of the style of music so they can choose a reggae, punk, funk, they could shout out whatever style and we'll, we'll play it. They write all the lyrics and we facilitate that lyric writing session based on the key, core objectives mm. of, of the meeting. And by that point, they are so proud of what they've created that if we say, oh, we're not going to do the song, that they'd probably be, they, they would be very upset. So by the end, uh, it's more of what we would call a bit of like an Oasis concert. So, you know, we're up on stage, a few of them get up, a few of them, yeah. if they can sing, they join us. And we get, we teach the crowd the song. Um, it's always super catchy and, uh, and, and, and everyone just joins in a bit like a rock concept. So, um, it's taken us, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a evolving process that we have, but we've been perfecting it for 16 years and 
it, 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 no matter, like I said, no matter what the audience or the age or the industry, it, it, it's, it's pretty fail safe as long as we make sure that they feel like it's their song. Mm. That's the key. Have you have you found that like different industries have kind of different preferences for like music, genre of music? Ah, uh, oh, that's a good question. Um, oh, this is so stereotypical, but um, I, you know, I would say in Europe they do like their sort of a bit of synth, synth <laughs> Euro, synth rock. I don't want to say Eurovision, yeah. but synth rock, which is great because I love that stuff and it's so feel good. Um, what am I getting at the moment? We, I mean, on Friday they it, they wanted to do a punk song. Um, so we, we, um, well, half the group wanted to do punk and half the group wanted to do like a Rolling Stones rock vibe. So we yeah. did like punk rock. Um, bluegrass is, 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 is actually surprisingly popular, especially in the U S and that's really fun. Cause it's yeah. got that ding, 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 ding. <laughs> everyone just, you can't not smile when you do that. Reggae is the only one that when they say reggae, I go, Oh no, because that's really actually quite hard to get everyone singing along to the same melody at the same time. So, um, Look, no, that, I, I couldn't. I couldn't. No, I couldn't say one industry sits with one style. But um, yeah, the, the 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 funk and the rock and the, and and the, and those vibes for me, they're the ones where we can really rock out with them. <laughs> I'm not going to discover that the finance industry just absolutely loves heavy metal or something. Funny you say that. Uh, we did. So one of our offerings is a song slam, and mm. it was with the biggest one of the biggest finance finance institutes in the world. Um, and a song slam is when we break them into three or four teams and they have okay. one hour yeah. and they write their own song and then we have a battle of the bands. So uh, I will say my group won and we did the most amazing like punk heavy metal song. And I think that's why we won because <laughs> the other groups were kind of pop rock and then my group was last. I had them all wear bandanas and oh, we just did this dirty, dirty heavy metal rock song and, and they loved it. The audience loved it and my team won. So yeah, so that's, so maybe you're right. They do, there is a sense of like, People get put in pigeonholes. So the engineers as well, like everyone says, yeah. oh, they're not going to enjoy it. But they love, the, they they always pick rock. And yeah, the finance people who probably get, you know, or you guys will be a bit more reserved. Yeah, they, they wanted to do a heavy metal song. So the, the key is the talent that we have. The musicians, yeah. they can play any style of music. They're amazing facilitators. They're all super professional because they're touring full time with, um, on that job, we had the Spice Girls bass player. We had um, Rick Astley's drummer. So yeah, it's... Um, Anything, anything can happen. That's why we love it. That's why the attendees love it. Um, we're not pre-baking anything. It's not yeah. a magic trick. It's it's all live and anything can happen. Um, but at the end, there is always this beautiful quality product that we've we finished with that they've created. So you, I mean, you guys have some quite amazing talent that come play with you guys. Yeah, that's like why I love the job. So like, people I would never play with normally, you know. So uh, I, I'll generally I'll MC and facilitate the job. And uh, yeah, like I said, for that for that job uh, with in that that uh, song slam, we had. Um, who did we have? Florence and the Machines, backup vocalist. Um, we had the drummer who's played with everyone from Josh Groban to Michael Bublé to James Taylor. Um, who was on, I think it was on bass. Was yeah, he was, he was just going on tour with the Spice Girls, Dave Troke. So uh, yeah, they're all ridiculous muses, and they're the nicest humans because they're not the rock star. They're the guys that are supporting the rock star. So they're they're the session yeah. musicians who are super professional. Incredible musicians, great to work with, great working with the audience, um, and 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 just all have such a beautiful energy. So that's like why I love the job. I'm I'm up on stage with these guys that are I would never get to play with. Yeah, amazing. Well, I think uh, you've uh, you've we, we gave you some notes. Yes, you've uh, you've been preparing a little yeah. something. Yeah. Yep. So what this is uh, is what we would call a custom song. Mm -hmm. So this is different to obviously what we do at a meeting or an event where we get them to write their own song. This is when clients come to us. Um, for example, um, a DMC came to me two weeks ago and said we're pitching on a huge job for a client in Barcelona in 2020 and we have, you know, there's five DMCs competing for yeah. it and we want to win the job. 
so we thought as part of our pitch, we should write a song about why we would love for them to choose us. So they'll give me information about the event, about the client, about the fact they've worked together before and they understand each other. I will go into a studio or I'll record the song for them and they will present it as a, as a little, you know, unique way for them to be remembered. So it's, it's, it's used for that. It's used um, often if, a, you know, a company CEO is celebrating, you know, a 20-year anniversary, the, um, you know, the senior leaders will, will, will bring us in to, to write a song saying thank you for all your hard work. So this one's a bit different where they give us the information and I do write the song. So you've given me a bit of information about Higher Space and how amazing you guys are. And I think it was about 10 different venues. Yeah, um, some, 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 of our, some of our favorite London venues that, yeah. that kind of really make the city kind of stand out as an events yeah. destination. So, um, yeah, you gave me the information and I've put it into a little song, which I think I'm going to perform for you right now. Amazing. All right. If you're looking for a venue, there's only one place Yeah, they got over 5,000 to match any taste Yeah, the original platform, they won that race So head over to our friends at Higher Space You can eat with the animals at London Zoo Or head to Orbit Tower for incredible views VMA House, you can eat sustainably Or head to Hampton House and dine with royalty Hawker House, their street food is the best Or the Tower of London, the fortress with the mostest Somerset House, it's a creative hub Or the home of Cricket Lords is number one HMS Belfast, go down on a ship Or the Lumiere London, if you're feeling really hip Cultural icons like the Barbican All you super cool geeks can head to the Science Museum Yeah, now they're booking venues across the globe From New York to Rio and even Tokyo So if you're looking for a venue, there's only one place Head over to our friends at Higher Space All done? Yeah. Thank you Easy, so man. Thank you. Amazing. Awesome. Love it. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to rate us on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. You can follow all that we do on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at eventlab underscore online. You can find links to everything mentioned in the episode in the show notes below. If you have any questions you'd like to submit to the News Digest or you'd like to get in contact with the show, you can email us at eventlab at Thank you very much for listening. <laughs>